middle of a message theme here called Essentials, and we've been talking about what it means and what we need to have packed on this journey toward abundant living. Uh, Those of you that are part of the hills, you know that that's our mission. That's our end result. That's where we want to go is we want to see every individual that God sends to the hills living abundantly in every area of their life. So if you want to know what we're about, we're not about the singing, the preaching, the that's all part of it. But all of that is leading us loving, giving, living, loving passionately, giving generously, and living abundantly. Our end result, our vision, is that you, every single one of you, could be living abundantly in every area of your life, socially, physically, financially, spiritually, relationally. That means living in what God has for you, God's best for you. How many want that kind of life? How about the rest of you? Are y'all doing good? Just where you are, just all sluggish and stagnant. How many want that kind of life? You want abundant life, right? More than enough. Still some of you. Okay, I'm going to get you all by the end of the service today, all right? Hey, on the back of these uh, happenings, I encourage you to grab this and take this home with you. It's going to tell you about our meetups. Uh, Remind all of our youth that we're having a youth meetup on the 22nd. That's going on middle school as well, right? Uh, Middle school is when? Sunday, next Sunday, middle school meetup next Sunday. It's not on these happenings, but uh, uh, the youth will be meeting. That's 8th grade to 12th grade. That's going to be meeting it on the 22nd at my, our, our house, the Ragsdale home. We're going to have a, a good time, so I want all the youth to plan on that. That is a Wednesday night. But on the back of that is some message notes, and you can take that out and get ready because we're about to dive in. So we're in the middle of this series, Essentials and finding out what we need in our baggage and in our luggage on this journey toward abundant living. I talked about a couple weeks ago, how many of y'all are like me, a habitual overpacker? Just raise your hand if you are habitually overpacked, right? And and I used to just pick at Kristen because I'd be carrying her big old honking piece of luggage out. I'm like, babe, we're going to be gone for two days. That's it, two days. And then one day she pointed out, just because I carry bigger luggage does not mean that I pack more than you do. And she made me do the weigh test. She had this big old honking piece of luggage that was light and fluffy. And I had this carry-on that I would have need four guys to pick up, you know, just... Because I just pack as much as I can in it. I think if there's room, you don't need to leave room. I'm paying for that to go. need to pack something in there because you never know what you're going to need when you get there, right? Just there's a space. Just pack something in there. And the reason I carry it on because it would be too heavy to try to check. They would charge me too much. So it was just like getting people to help me put it up in there. So our goal during this message theme is to make sure that we don't have anything in our luggage that we don't need. Lay aside every weight, the Bible says, as you're moving toward the finish line. Let's get some junk out. We're going to be talking about that over the next several weeks. But also, we want to make sure that we have what we need in the luggage as we're on this journey. uh, We're in our third week right now. Our first week, we talked about having a love for God. You need to start right there. Do you love Jesus? A passionate love for God, for his house, for his word, for his presence. No sense in being a Christian if you don't love Jesus, right? Make sure that you got that. 
And then last week, Brian Larson spoke so great on having the peace of God. If you were not here last week, I recommend you go listen to that online. It was so strong, Brian. And uh, I took notes and have gone back over those notes this week, uh, especially as Kristen and her family has walked through caring for her dad. And we just had to be reminded of that. Brian said this, if you're not in a storm, one's on its way. All right? Just that's the hope for you right now, a little joy and hope for you. If it's peaceful right now, storm is a coming, okay? But it's peace, peace. You got to have that on this journey. And I want to talk today on what I think is a, another element uh, that we need to have packed in our luggage, and that is trust. Write it down, just essentials, and then you can put number three is trust. I want, to, I want on Father's Day to look at the story of a father that Mark highlights in Mark chapter 9. Before we read the scripture, though, I want to give you a, I want to preface it for you and kind of give you uh, what's going on in this environment before we dive in. Jesus is walking along, and he sees a crowd, and this crowd, there is a commotion that's going on. Uh, One translation says they were arguing back and forth with one another. And Jesus just walks right smack dab in the middle, as we'd say in Mississippi, smack dab in the middle of the commotion. I, I love that. When I read that this week, I thought, man, that is so unlike most of us. If we see a commotion, what do we do? I ain't dealing with that right now. I don't have time for it. Got too much going on. If you see people arguing, what do you do? You go the other way. But not Jesus. He sees a commotion, and he does not go the passive-aggressive style. He just rolls right up in the middle of it, and he says, what is the commotion? Or Again, us in the South would say racket. What's the racket? What is all this racket going on? What is happening here? And the Scripture says that a man walks up to him, and we find out later that this man is the father of a child that is in desperate need of the Lord's help. This man walks up and he explains to Jesus, he said, I brought my son because he needs to be healed. He has an evil spirit that has been on him since he was a a young boy. And this evil spirit uh, keeps him mute. It won't let him talk. Uh, It throws him into these violent fits where he convulses and thrashes around on the ground. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth. And when it's finally over, he becomes rigid like a stone, as if he were, he were dead. And he said, I brought him to your disciples, and I asked them to cast out this devil, but they couldn't do it. And so I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so Jesus says, bring the boy to me. Man, I love that. Anytime I hear Jesus say, bring him here. Come on, bring it, bring, let the children come. Bring the boy to me. I know everybody else has seen him as an outcast and don't want to deal with him but I want you to bring him to me. And let's pick it up in verse nine, verse 20 of Mark chapter 9. And so they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into this violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. And he replied, since he was a little boy. Now listen to this. The spirit often throws him into the fire, are into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us. Help us if you can. Check this out. What do you mean if I can? 
Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I want you to read that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. The spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. And the boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. I prayed this week that we would see this happen today. That some of you that have been tormented, some of you that have battled things, some of you that battle with stuff and you think you're never going to get out of it and it's caused unbelief in your life, that today you're going to feel him take you by the hand and stand you up. Anybody ready for that kind of thing to happen today? There's one phrase that I believe describes our generation. Now, when I say our generation, sometimes when you say this generation, everybody automatically thinks you're talking about the young people, right? What this generation needs is... Now, when you say the word generation, it's talking about us and our, and our span of time. So whether you're elderly, whether you're middle-aged, or whether you're young, don't exclude yourself from this, all right? What, one of the phrases that describes our generation, describes our nation describes especially Nashville, this city, and I believe describes the body of Christ as a whole, is this phrase right here. Help me overcome my unbelief. We need help as a generation, as a nation, as a city, as a church. We need help overcoming our unbelief. We are a mistrusting and distrusting group of folks. Would you agree with that? I'm going to tell you two reasons that we battle with unbelief, or two reasons that we don't trust before I really dive into. Number one, we don't trust because we haven't seen. Write that down, taking notes. We don't trust because we have not seen. In other words, I want to see it before I believe it. So one reason that we battle with distrust is because we haven't seen it happen before, right? I just don't know if it's going to happen. And that's even worse with technology because everybody's got proof of everything in their back pocket, right? Or in their purse, right? You ever say, hey, hey, so-and-so did so-and-so. Really, let me check that out. And they pull out that phone, and it's right to Twitter. It's right to YouTube. Hey, did you see what? And it's just quickly, let me check that thing out. I want to see instant proof that that happened before I believe you. Or what about, what about when you used to could tell somebody, man, we went to this great restaurant. It is amazing. You got to try it out. Now you'll go, oh, that's awesome. Thanks for trying it out. And you pull Yelp out. Let me make sure what it looks like, what kind of reviews are going on. I remember when you used to have to trust people the word of mouth. Not now. If I don't see it, then I don't believe it. 
It's what Thomas said. Thomas said, if I can put my hands in the wounds, then I will believe. But Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you have seen, but blessed are those that have believed even though they have never seen. We walk by faith and not by Sight. I think we have become so accustomed to being proven. I want it to be proved to me. I want to know. I want to have all the facts and all the details. Then I will believe. And that is the complete antithesis of what God has called us to do. And I use the word antithesis. That was unbelievable. I actually got it out. Didn't even plan it. So first of all, we don't believe because we have not seen. Secondly, write this one down. The next reason that we don't trust is because we have seen. Because we have seen enough phonies and enough charlatans, and we've been promised stuff by preachers, by teachers, by parents, by politicians. We're going to do this. It's going to be better. We've got the answer. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go there. We're going to do this. And that's what you start hearing. This, it's almost like the, this Charlie Brown voice, like with a demonic tone to it. It's what you begin to hear when people start promising you things because you say, I hear what you're saying, but I know what I've seen. And because of what we have seen, it causes this distrust. And I'm going to see if you get this. I've tried this, this phrase one time before, and people didn't get it. Here's what they say. They say that a cat that sits on a hot stove won't sit on another hot stove. But it also won't sit on a cold stove either. Did you get that? Why? Because he got burned, and even though it's not on, he thinks it's on, and This is what happens with us because we've been burned by church or by people or by preachers or politicians or parents or teachers because we've been burned by it. There's this automatic distrust. We're a jaded people. I want to break some of that jade down. I want, to, I want to help us break some of those screens down today because what God wants you to have in your life is this thing where you are trusting him and believing that he wants what's best in your life. But he can't do it if you have a lack of faith. And the enemy knows that. And this whole, this whole distrust thing feeds right into the enemy's plan because The enemy knows that everything with God begins with trust. It is impossible to please God without faith. You don't start any relationship with God without faith. And so the enemy already has a stronghold in our life when we have this issue of trust. Now, I may not be preaching to all of you, but I'm preaching to most of you right now. The goal today is is to destroy some of that, break some of that stuff down, and for you to understand that just because somebody hurt you doesn't make God any less God. Well, church hurt me. I get so tired of that. Church didn't hurt you. People hurt you. And people are going to hurt you, whatever vocation you're in, whatever you do, because people are stupid, all right? I'm just going to tell you right now, just the way, look at your neighbor and say, people are stupid. Just tell them. Now, don't, you ain't got like a point at them or nothing. Just say, 
They are. They're going to mess you up. They're going to hurt you. But I don't know why church is different than anything else. You know, it's like, if you, it's like if you go to the doctor and they misdiagnose you, you don't stop going to doctors, right? But for some reason, you go to church and you get hurt, but I ain't going back to church ever again. Well, that's just what the enemy wants. He wants you to be jaded and pull back and not to trust anybody, to be all by yourself because nothing good happens in isolation. And the enemy wants you to become so mistrusting and distrusting that you're in your cave with all of your destiny and all of your giftings and all of your talent, but it ain't doing anybody any good because you don't trust anybody. How about we break that down today? So this father shows up with this same thing, the same mindset. He shows up thinking, I don't know that I trust this Jesus. Why? Because, first of all, I haven't seen, and I, I haven't seen anything happen with my boy. I mean, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't even do it. I haven't seen anybody be able to do anything with my son. And then also, I have seen. I've been lied to. They promised I've been every witch doctor. I've been to every, everybody I can that have helped my boy, and nobody can help him. And so there's this distrust. And he's been this way. Can you imagine what this daddy had gone through? Watching your child being thrown around by a demon since he was a little boy? And not just thrown around, but thrown into water. The demon tried to drown him. Thrown into fire. So can you imagine what this boy must have looked like? The the bruises and the scars and just... This is what, this is just a little mess of humanity. This boy's life has just been tormented and tragic. I'm a daddy. I, when, when the boys have a sniffle, I just lose my mind. I'm like, oh God, what are we going to do about it? When, it's just this thing of what I hurt when they hurt. I, what must have this dad have thought? Wanting his son to be whole. Tried everything. And now he shows up and the first thing he's asked is, do you trust? Well, here we go again. Here we go again. I've trusted in everything and everybody, and here we are, back to this thing called trust. And that's when he says to him, I do believe. I've heard the stories. I've heard people talk about you, Lord. I I do believe, but I need you to help me overcome my unbelief. I got this thing in my heart. I believe in you. And I believe a lot of us are that way. We believe in him. But you know, that only puts you on the same level as the demons. Because James said, even the demons believe. And they even fear. They tremble. They, they, they have, the Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is fear. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so the demons have got part of that figured out. They fear God and they believe in God. But the one thing they don't have that we have is the ability to trust God. So at some point, our belief has to turn into action where we start trusting in the one that we believe in. Now, I may not be a good preacher, but that was good preaching right there. Okay, maybe it's okay. We gave you a standing ovation. We ain't got to do nothing else, right? I want you to write this down. Trusting, we throw the word out, but I want to really break it down for us and really explain and maybe define what trust means. First of all, trusting is believing that God can. 
That's first of all. You get to believe that God can. The Bible says God, you have to believe that God exists and that he rewards those that sincerely seek him. First of all, that's the beginning of trust. You have to believe that God can. How many believe that God can? The question is, do you believe that God will? I think sometimes we think, I believe God can and does and has for everybody else. But when it comes to my situation, there's something wrong with me and my faith. Now, I was raised a Pentecostal boy. I was raised around charismatic folks and Pentecostal word of faith folks. And thank God for my heritage. Thank God for that. But I'm going to tell you one of the greatest sources of legalism is when people make you feel like God's not doing something in your life because you don't have enough faith. Anybody ever felt that way before? You feel like, man, if I just had enough faith, if I just believe, man, I remember back in the day, my dad was a Pentecostal preacher, and if, 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 if mamma or somebody just needed healing, we would say, all right, I want everybody, and I want you just to press your faith toward this. And we'd be like, Aah! I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. It's headaches. It's like the power of positive thinking. It's going to heal mamma or somebody, right? Maybe you've done the same situ- in your situation where you, I got to have God show up, but I got to do something. Let me, let me, I want you to stop you. I want you to look at me. God never moves in a situation because of what you do. God moves in a situation because of who he is. Boom. Let me explain that to you. Because if you think God moves in a situation because of what we do, then that goes back to you don't need grace, you don't need faith, you don't need, it's all based on works. We believe that for salvation, right? But for some reason, after salvation, we go into this works-based mentality that God's only going to bless you if you do this, and God's only going to do this if you do that. And God's only, God never blesses because of what we do. He blesses because of who he is. Matter of fact, the scripture says there are two things that he's exalted, his word and his name. Everything God does is because of those two things. He says, I'm going to be true to my word. He's not a man that he can lie. Every word he's ever said will come to pass. So God's true to his word. That's one reason God does things in our life. The second thing God does things in our life is because of his name, his reputation, and how many times in the scripture, there's, there's 20, 30 times in the scripture that says God did things because of his name's sake. Matter of fact, there's one passage that he said, I wanted to wipe y'all out. I want to take all y'all and wipe y'all out. But all the other nations were looking at me and seeing what I was going to do. And I had to save you for my name's sake. You don't have to do much of anything but believe and trust in him. And he does things based on his dedication to his word and to his name. That is good. I'm going to tell you right now. That's going to help you. Listen, listen to me. Because right now you may not need it. But come Thursday you're going to need it. Come a couple of months, you're going to need it. You're going to be in the middle of a situation, and you're going to start questioning, does God care? Does God? It's like Brian said last week, in the middle of the storm, the disciple, one of the disciples ran up to Jesus and said, you don't even care that we're going to die. 
You get to a place that you become so frantic that you start distrusting even God. You think God doesn't care about you or or where you are. You're going to be in a situation. You may be in one right now that you're going to need to know God is going to move in spite of you. God wants to save you in spite of you. God wants to lead you into green pastures and restore your soul for his name's sake. So first of all, trust is believing that God... Told you all to write it down because I knew you'd forget. Trust is believing that God can... Secondly, trust is understanding that we can't. And that may be the biggest part of it. Because I believe in God's strength. I love you, Gwen. Were you at 9 o'clock? You weren't. I know, I didn't hear you at 9. Normally, Gwen double dips. She is 9 and 11. I believe... That's probably the hardest thing. Gwen and I believe that. Is that I believe God can, but sometimes I think that I got to help God out. I know you can, but let me, I got to step in and help maneuver and move things around. And, but I believe part of God's plan, probably the biggest part of God's plan is to get us to a place of total dependence. Now listen to me. And most of the time, the stuff that you're fussing about and that I'm cussing about is God's working to get us to a place where we say, I can't do this. And the whole way there, (laughs) I rebuke you, devil, you get out of my life. And the whole time it's God getting you to a place that you got to fall on your knees, throw your hands up and say, I can't do this. And when that happens, God goes, yeah. And we're getting somewhere because we try to work the system. We try to manipulate things. And I had a friend of mine that an um, amazing, talented person. And I, one time I said, it's just incredible, you know, the doors that open in your life. And he said, unfortunately, I kicked some of those doors in. And he said, those are my greatest regrets is when I tried to do things on my own. Check this out. Jeremiah 17. Everybody good? Happy Father's Day. Y'all feeling good? All right. Not much longer. Jeremiah 17 and 5. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. We'll read it a lot around here if you're around here a lot. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans. Hold up. He didn't say shame on those. Bad boy. You shouldn't do that. Cursed. I mean, when God says cursed, that's a big deal, right? Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert. Y'all, you don't get much worse than that. I mean, we got some stunted shrubs in our landscaping, and we got automatic irrigation, you know, working on them. It just ain't happening. It's a stunted shrub. But then you take a stunted shrub and put it in the desert? It does not get worse than that. That's what he said. You trust in your own ability. You're like a stunted shrub in the desert with no hope for a future. 
They live in the barren wilderness and in an uninhabited, salty land. We get messed up when we start putting our trust in the wrong things. We get messed up when we start putting our trust and our talent and our ability and our strength and our mindset and our way of thinking and our relationships and our ability to manipulate or maneuver a situation. You pull out a, you pull out a, a, a bill and it says, in God we trust, and yet we trust more in that bill than we do in the words on the bill. We trust in money. How many of you saw that billboard? 300 and something million. Oh, Lord, if I could get that, everything would be all right, right? I'll just take the other one, just 150. I'll take that one. That ain't bad, right? The trust in that, I'm going to put my trust in that. If I could just get that raise, that job, that relationship, that thing would work out then. And so we start moving our trust from God into these things. And that's when nothing works out cursed. Let me ask you something. I want want to get where you are right now. I want to get where I am right now. Do you ever feel like you just can't get ahead? Do you feel like a stunted shrub in the desert? Do you feel like, man, I try, I try, I try, and it's just like, I can't, it can't happen. It could be because your trust is in the wrong thing. So I want to encourage you this week, When you start thinking about what could you do, begin to think about what could God do if I just put my trust in him. Malachi says it. He says, you know, you got holes in your pockets. You get all this money that comes in and you can't keep it. And he said, it's because you're not trusting God with your tithes and offerings. You're not trusting God by putting him first. Because of it, there's a curse on you. I don't want to be cursed. I don't know about you. I want to be blessed. So how am I blessed? The very next verse, verse 7. Cursed are those that do this, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Man, I love that. My hope and my confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Do you notice the opposite? Stunted shrub in the desert, tree planted by the river with roots that go all the way into the water. And these trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. I don't know about you, but that sounds like abundance to me. How do I go from being a stunted shrub in the desert to a tree that's planted by the water? One simple word, trust. Switching your trust from trusting in you, trusting in situations, trusting in others, and placing your trust in him. John, would you come? Proverbs 3 and 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Look at me. Is there any other way? Now, let me ask you again. Is there any other way? I don't know about you, but I find myself trusting him with part of my heart sometimes. I trust you, but ah, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He doesn't want a little bit of us. He wants all of us. And don't depend on your own understanding. Another word translation says don't lean or support yourself on your own understanding. Trusting with all my heart, God, even in the bad times, even when I don't like it. 
to say, I trust you with all my heart. Even the part that's hurt and bruised, I trust you with that part too. And I'm not at any point going to crutch on my own understanding. Because what will happen is you'll be in the middle of the day, I'm believing, I'm believing, and something will happen and you'll go up back to your understanding. I don't want you to do that. I want you to, I want you to continually put your faith and your trust in me. And then he goes on to say, seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the path to take. You don't know why they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, remember? Out of Egypt, and they were promised the promised land. Some theologian says that was a matter of days or weeks. That's all the journey was, just to get there, just to cross. They spent 40 years. Why? Because Hebrew says they couldn't enter in because of their unbelief. Distrust. Putting your trust in the wrong things just sits you on a wandering. You're just all over the place. But those of you that need direction, put your trust on him. And you watch God begin to direct your steps. Those that seek him first, everything's given to them. The steps of a good person are ordered of the Lord. So I want you to look at me. Look right at me. If you're taking notes, just write while you're looking at me, okay? Right where you are right now. In the, in the early service, in this moment right here, I felt led to pray for people that couldn't have children. I, we prayed for that today. It just, I don't, just felt it come over me. There's some people that's struggling. They've tried everything. They've tried the doctors and the, all this stuff, and, but it's still not working. Doesn't mean you stop the doctors or start the other, but it means you're well, you're putting your trust. I want to ask you where you are right now. What is it? What's that thing that you're battling with? Is it a relationship? Is it financially? What is it that you're saying? It's tempting to put your trust in your stuff. See, the, the big thing about trusting in God is you trust that he can, but you also trust him if he doesn't. And that's, that's maybe the biggest piece of it right there. The Hebrew children said, our God is well able to deliver us, but if he doesn't, we still ain't going to bow. I'm telling you right now, we're not putting our knee down. Job said, though he slay me with my last breath, I'm going to be trusting. When, we, when they diagnosed my brother with leukemia, I'll never forget, we gathered around the bed. We all had on our blue suits and masks, and we were there to tell him he had 24 hours. And he looked up at us and said, y'all look like a bunch of Smurfs. That was the thing that he said to us. And um, they asked me to say it, to tell him, and I couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it. So I looked to the nurse. You have to tell him. And she said, Josh, you have 24 hours. His first words, there's not 48 in there anywhere. And his last breath was trusting. He's just believing. Man, isn't that the way to go out? Instead of curse you, God, you let me down. You just, come on. I'm believing. Even if he chooses another way, I'm going to go down trusting. I'm going to go. If you can have that, if we can have that kind of perseverance and that kind of faith in him, I don't understand it, but I know you're. One of my favorite pieces of poetry is amidst the maddening maze of things and tossed by storm and flood. To one fixed trust, my spirit clings. I know that God is good. 
It means to let everything blow, let everything wreck. What don't matter? I'm hanging on to the fact that he's a good God. And he's going to be true to his word. And he's going to be true to his name. He's going to be true to that. That's speaking to anybody right now. If it's speaking to you, just raise your hand up. Say it to me right where I am. I'm not sure where I'm going to go. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Let me pray over you. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit here today. You know what I love about this is he's just been waiting on you to get to this place. (laughs) He's just been waiting on you. Let me say one more thing to you. God's not a sadist. He didn't put you through all this mess because he wants to put you through it. He's allowed things to happen in your life. Now, look, some of it you did because you made dumb choices, okay? Don't blame that on Jesus, all right? Or the devil for that fact. The devil's like, I had nothing to do with it. You just made a dumb decision, okay? But I'm talking about the things you, you did your best. You did everything you knew to do, and it still is just a mess. I don't know what I'm on. God's not a sadist. He's, but he allows these things to happen for you to get to this point right here, right now. That in the middle of this essentials message theme with our nice little artwork and got everything best we know how to do it, but it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with you getting to this moment, this breaking point where you could say, all right, I'm done. I can't, but you can. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to pray over you right now. Man, those of you that know how to pray right now, those of you that know how to intercede, I'm going to ask you just to do that right where you are. Come on, help me pray. Let the Holy Spirit do a work in this place now. I want to see the hands of those of you that are right now in a situation that you need Jesus to show up. Raise your hand. I want to see it. I'm going to try to look across this audience because I'm going to be praying for you this week. Right here where you are. I need Jesus to show up. All right, now put your hand down. Now, you may raise your hand again on this one. Or you may not. I don't know. But I want to see the hands of those of you that right now need help overcoming your unbelief. Either your lack of faith or the fact that you've been putting your faith in the wrong stuff. Raise your hand. Come on up high. I want to see it. I want to see it. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Okay, put them down. So, Lord, we just say that you're a good God. And we're not going to lie and say that we like everything we're walking through. Actually, I hate some of this stuff. But I am praying right now, Lord, that the gift of faith will begin to rise in this place today. God, where we don't have the faith, that you would begin to bring the gift of faith, Lord. You'd begin to bring that, that fruit of the Spirit of faith into our hearts and into our minds. That God, suddenly, this trust and this belief would start rising up in us again. And the situations would begin to diminish in our eyes. And your goodness and righteousness and grace... would begin to rise... Now I want you right now just to talk to him in your own way. And I want you to say it. Say, Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to help me with my unbelief. I need you to help me trust you. I want you not to pray 
for him to help you out of the situation. I want you to help him pray that he'll help you trust.